Thank you for listening to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast, other resources, and our church, please visit us online. We hope that today's message will be an encouragement and a help as you grow in your walk with God. And so, so far in our study, we've looked at, of course, how the angel Gabriel came and uh, he spoke to Zacharias. And if you remember that story there, he came to Zacharias, told him that John, the, that later on we know him as John the Baptist, that he was going to come and, and uh, he was going to be the forerunner. He was going to be the one who was going to prepare the way for the Messiah and, uh, and, and how Zacharias responded really with unbelief. If you remember that, he responded with unbelief. He was confronted. I mean, this is a priest. This is somebody who uh, was surrounded by the things of God that knew the prophecies, that knew what God was going to do. And yet when he was confronted with God's will for his life and for his wife's life, he immediately looked at himself. He looked at his circumstances and it seemed absolutely impossible. And so we saw how he was walked through that. Of course, uh, there was the uh, punishment that came to him as he was confronted with that. But then last week we looked at and continued the story by looking at how the angel continued on telling people and announcing what was to come by coming to Mary, some six months after his appearance to Zacharias. And of course, the message that was given to Mary uh, was that she was going to be the one who was going to carry this long prophesied, I mean, some 750 years of prophecy that had come, that there was going to be this this young woman who was going to carry the Messiah and give birth to the Messiah. And you could imagine that would have just been an absolutely crazy situation uh, for her to be involved in. But what was so amazing about that story is how she responded with one of the most humble and faith-filled statements in all of scripture. And we see it in Luke uh, chapter one, verse 38, where it says, Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. See her response to God reaching out to her, God speaking to her and God's grace being poured out upon her was that she responded in a humble way. Her attitude when she was confronted with the grace of God in her life Very simply, I think if you're going to put it very simply, she just basically said, God, if this is your will, then I'm all in. Whatever it is that you have for me, God, I'm, I'm willing to do it and I'm going to follow you completely. Now, this didn't mean that she was done with the difficulties that were to come. Think about it for a moment. I mean, she at this point has still not told Joseph. I mean, she still had to tell the guy that she was engaged to that, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant and, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's not what you think. Uh, there, there's a whole backstory to this. And so that's going to be interesting. That's coming up. But the point being is she doesn't know what the future holds. There's still going to be some challenges ahead, but yet she still says, God, not my will, but you'll be done. I, I want to follow after you. And this is the hard attitude that we should have, church. When it comes to God speaking and giving his will to us, that we would be willing without hesitation to allow God to work through us. And Mary, when she responded, she responded with humility. I think one of the things that we need to really remember is that God wants to work in your life. God wants to do something with your life. God wants to use you uh, in, in a greater way. He really does. But none of that's ever going to happen unless we are, first of all, walking in humility when it comes to our relationship with God. Humility is is the key. Humility is the starting point. See, I don't believe that God came to Mary and then hoped that she would respond with humility. I believe that Mary was already walking in humility. She was already submissive to God's will for her life. And so when that moment came, it was natural for her to step into that moment. 
So those are the two responses that we've looked at so far in Luke chapter one. And I hope that you're still with me. I hope that you're still in the chat a little bit. And I just want you guys to know, I'm going to look down at the crowd a little bit too. So they don't feel too weird. Me just staring over their heads at the camera. Uh, so there's going to be a little bit of eye contact change. It's not because something's going wrong. It's because there are some people here, a couple, put your hands up and you'll be in the screen. I think they, I don't know if you can see them, but we're glad that they're <laughs> glad that they're here as well. All right. So we're going to get into it today with verse number 39. So Luke chapter one, verse 39, and we'll continue the story with a few more responses. And Mary arose in those days. So everything that I've just sort of described has happened. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. So this passage indicates to us that it was not very long before Mary decided, I need to go see Elizabeth. Remember, the angel had told her what was happening with her her cousin, this distant cousin, Elizabeth. And so we see immediately she decides to go, and I believe she goes to verify this news that the angel had given to her. So she packs her bag, bags, and she begins, now think about this for a moment, a 150-kilometer journey south, on foot, understood, maybe, maybe alone, maybe with some family, early pregnancy, and she makes this, what I best I could figure, a 32-hour on-foot journey, probably more, honestly, all the way down south, past Jerusalem, to a city about, or an area called Inkarim, which is about 10 kilometers outside of Jerusalem, and she comes to the home of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now, in those days, I mean, travel, like people had family all over and, and oftentimes they would know that they had family, but maybe never meet them. And so we don't know the situation here really, but what we do see is that when she gets to the house of Zacharias, it says that she saluted her. Of course, we think of like a military. That just simply means she greeted her warmly. She probably hugged her. Maybe she had to tell her who they were. Cause here's the thing. We don't know if they've ever met. We have no idea if, if Elizabeth and Mary had ever met. But she greets her warmly and she comes to the house. She arrives, I would say, unannounced. And then we see a a unique reaction, a very unique reaction here. And this is where we get into our thoughts this morning, our points this morning. First of all, look at the joy of Elizabeth. So imagine you're an older lady. You're about to have a baby uh, that God prophesied. I mean, it's a miracle. And then unannounced, someone shows up at your home claiming to be a family member. And again, we don't know, maybe they hadn't met before, but this family member arrives and greets you. And I want you to understand that as we come into this conversation, that at this point, we don't know if anything else was said except that they greeted each other. Now look at the response, and we see it in the joy of Elizabeth in verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, so she heard the greeting. So I'm assuming she says, hey, I'm Mary. I, we're related. I don't, I don't know what she said exactly. But we're here. I'm here. Look what happens. The babe, this is Elizabeth, <laughs> leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and, uh, women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, she's now speaking about Mary, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. You know, by the filling of the Holy Spirit, we see 
Elizabeth, when she's greeted by Mary, get loud. Did you notice that? She begins to speak with a loud voice and she blesses Mary and she blesses Jesus, who's still in the womb, who's just at this point, we understand, would, I mean, just getting started. And, and she blesses and she announces that he is the Messiah. And I, there's no prior communication. This is what's so unique about this whole situation here is that she sees her, she hears the greeting, and then all of a sudden she just starts speaking and she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she proclaims this blessing upon Mary, which, I, which is incredible with no other, you know, Mary wasn't like, hey, this angel came and talked to me and told me nothing at all. She just begins to pour out this blessing. She also declares her faith. She says, uh, you have believed uh, in Christ. You believed, uh, you know, in what God has told you. And notice here as well, I want you to see this in verse number 43, where she says uh, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. This is really interesting. So the Holy Spirit comes over Elizabeth. She begins to prophesy and begins to speak. And one of the first things that she says here is identifying that Jesus is in fact the Lord. She confesses that Jesus is her Lord. Now, it's really common to think, sometimes, maybe if I ask you this, hey, who's the first person to confess Jesus as Lord? Now, I know you already know where I'm going with this, <laughs> but most of the time people would say, well, it was Peter. You know, when Jesus said to Peter, uh, who do you say that I am? And he said, well, thou art the Christ, the son of God. Uh, and that's often referred to as the first time this public confession was made. But I want you to notice here that Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, confesses that Jesus is Lord even before he's born. How did she know this? How did she know that Jesus is Lord? In fact, and Jesus is Lord is one of the earliest Christian confessions that we know from history. Uh, They would just say, man, Jesus is Lord. They would greet one another in this way. Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number three that the only way that someone can really truly confess Jesus as Lord is if the Holy Spirit gives them that ability. In 1 Corinthians, he says, wherefore I give uh, uh, give to you understand that Uh, No man speaking uh, by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. See, it was the Holy Spirit that gave Elizabeth this knowledge, this understanding to proclaim. And it's so interesting, and and I want us to stop here just for a moment, because it is the same Holy Spirit of God that works within us that gives us the power to proclaim that Jesus is Lord to declare him to unsaved family and unsaved friends, to give us the boldness that we need to declare him. I would say maybe even like Elizabeth, we need to declare him loudly. But it's the Holy Spirit that does that work in us. And so the joy that Elizabeth was experiencing was a very real, tangible uh, fulfillment of God's promise of a Messiah. And through the Holy Spirit, she proclaimed him as Lord in this moment. It must have been a just incredible scene. I, I (laughs) I don't know what it would have been like. I like to imagine myself being there. But Mary, you know, showing up, just says, hey, cousin, it's me from, you know, from up north in Nazareth. And she just begins to speak and say, man, the, uh, the baby leaped in my womb and he is the Lord and begins to proclaim all of this blessing and prophecy. It's just incredible. I think the only word really to destri- describe that moment would have been joy. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around two young women who both found out they're pregnant around the same time. Now, we've experienced that here in church, Right. And uh, it's always funny to see, you know, it's like, you're pregnant, you're pregnant. Or I've had the privilege to announce in church, like, hey, praise God, you know, so-and-so is pregnant. And uh, they look at each other, and if one hasn't announced it yet, and they know they're pregnant, and it's like this, like, you know, like, I'm pregnant. I imagine there was that aspect of it, certainly. But even more than that, there was this incredible joy around the fact that the, the Spirit of God, that the angel Gabriel had come to both of them, and that something incredible was about to happen. God was working, and there was this unique, just incredible joy that we see here. 
And so there was the joy of Elizabeth as they were excited about the coming Messiah. And now we see the joy of John as we continue. The joy of John. Look at verse 41 through 44. Now we know his name is John because the angel said his name's going to be John. So we know this is going to happen. But look at verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, uh, the babe leaped in her womb and uh, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So we covered that already. And then verse 44, she said again, as soon as the voice of thy salutation uh, uh, sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb. Now, if you'll remember back to uh, in chapter one, verse number 15, you'll remember that it said that John, the baby would be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Now, this is interesting because as a dad of four boys, I can just tell you, uh, I don't believe any of my children were filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. That is for sure. This is a unique thing. This is something special that God uh, is doing. And so what happens is that this baby that has the Holy Spirit, he rejoiced, he leaped in the womb. Now I can't explain that. I don't know what that was like, but she very clearly said it more than once. Now I've been blessed to see my children's while they're in the womb, you know? And I've seen some of those creepy things like a foot, you know, or a hand and how like alienish it seems, how crazy it is. Uh, but here we see this unique, a jump, a leap. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. She just knew that there was a, a strong movement that took place. So how is it that a baby could be filled with the Holy Spirit? That's a question, right? How is it that a baby can be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we have to remember the time frame that we are in right now. Of course, we're in still uh, the, the, the biblical timeline, the Old Testament timeline. And we remember that before the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had not yet come down upon people. We don't see the, the uh, immediate indwelling of the Holy Spirit at salvation until a little bit later on, several years uh, from now, 30, 40 years from now. But prior to that day, we know from the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit often came upon individuals for specific tasks and for specific reasons. And so that's what we're experiencing here. Remember when the Holy Spirit came on Abraham or on Moses or David, Elijah, so many unique moments that it says that the Spirit of God came upon them and they were used by God in a time. And so really that's what we're experiencing here. This is really a preview for us of John's earthly ministry. Remember, he was the one who was coming to prepare the way to uh, introduce the Messiah to the Jewish nation, and he was going to do it in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And so we see this response of the spirit in the womb. And and to me, it's such an amazing story. It's such a unique uh, way that God used to verify to Elizabeth what he was doing in the life of Mary. And it's just incredible to see. So we have the joy of Elizabeth. We have the joy of John. And now we see the joy of Mary, the joy of Mary. Now, the joy that we're going to talk about here in the rest of the passage with Mary is a direct result of the Spirit's work in her life. It's a direct result of the Spirit's work in her life. And because of her being led by the Spirit, and because she was led by the Spirit, it manifested itself in the song that we are going to see in these next nine verses. Now, the next nine verses we're going to cover are often called the Magnificent. You've probably heard it before. Maybe you've heard it referred to that before. What that is, is that is the first word uh, of this passage in the Latin translation. And so it was given that name, the Magnificent, the Song of Mary. And uh, it, it is the basis for many choral songs, for a lot of hymns, a lot of Christmas songs. And it's so interesting because we, in it, we see a lot of quotations and references to Old Testament scriptures. 
Uh, We see quotations from the Psalms. We see quotes from the song of Hannah. If you remember that story, Hannah, when God uh, gave her the blessing of a child and answered her prayer. Throughout these verses, we see a number of allusions to the law, to the Psalms, to the prophets, and the entire passage, get this, this entire passage we're about to cover is almost a point-by-point reciting of the covenant promises of God. So so I I want you to get that for a moment. She's about to give us here this this really in-depth quoting of the promises of God from throughout Scripture. And you and I might might see that and be like, oh, oh, that's that's really nice. Man, that's really cool. Here's what I want you to understand, though. What does this tell us about the character of Mary? The character of Mary was that she was somebody who knew the Word of God, is what it tells us. She knew about God. She knew who God was. See, this was in a day where they they didn't have a completed word of God to carry around. They really only had access to it uh, in the synagogue or or maybe by by memorization. So what we understand when Mary begins to speak in this amazing song of praise and she gives uh, and alludes back to the Old Testament and the law and the prophets and Psalms and other stories, this is all coming out of her. This is all knowledge that she has of God's word and it flows out of her in this moment of joy and in this moment of praise. She didn't have, you know, you version on her phone to pull up. We don't see her say in this, uh, Lord, I know that somewhere in the Bible it says this. <laughs> you know, that's, what, that's what we often say. You know, I know there's a verse that says this. We can't remember. No, she's just quoting things word for word, and it's just pouring out of her. The thing I want us to understand is that she loved the word of God so much, and she hid it in her heart so much that it just so naturally flowed out of her and so naturally became a part of her praise. This was a praise song that we're about to cover because it really does, and its purpose is to magnify the Lord and not herself. Uh, Eight times in this passage, we see her use the phrase, he has, speaking of what God has done. And again, Mary understood that she was just a servant girl chosen by God. She knew that what God was doing in her life would have a profound impact in the world and in future generations. And so she focused her time in praise and in joy on God's holiness, his power, and his mercy. If you don't get anything else today, get this. Mary's insight into God's character formed the basis for her confidence in him. The insight that she had into the character of God formed the basis for her confidence. Because she knew God, she could praise him with confidence. Because she knew who he was, because she knew his character and his power and his holiness, she was able to proclaim in this song here the greatness of her God. Now, the song is broken up into three different sections and they all magnify the greatness of, what God, of who God is and what he has done. So we're going to work our way through it. And I've broken it down into three sections as well for us, just to help us understand it this morning. The first one that I want you to see here is the first section, verse 46 to 49. She talks about what God did for Mary, what God did for her personally. It's a personal aspect of praise. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Why? For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth, from this point, all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. To begin with, Mary recognized and was thankful for her salvation from God. Notice there in verse 47, she says, My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. 
She knew very well who her savior was. She recognized her own sinful state and she was trusting in God for her eternal salvation. Just like you and I should be trusting in God for our eternal salvation. He is the source. He is the one that we turn to. He is the one that we know is able to save us. But not only does she talk about how she was saved, but she specifically talks about how God had chosen her to be the mother of the Messiah. He says when he says that you have regarded me, she says about God, it means that he showed favor to her. Obviously, there were others that could have been given this incredible blessing. That's just a fact. There were others that God could have used, I'm sure. But she understood the, the beauty of God choosing her and, and, and allowing her the privilege to serve him in this way. You know, church, listen, we need to be thankful for where God has placed us. I think sometimes in life we so uh, want what other people have or we so want uh, what we think we, we deserve. And yet there's so much beauty in understanding and being thankful for where God has you right now and in this moment. That God has you in the family that you're in with the upbringing that you had. Parents that God gave you the children that you have. They're probably sitting next to you on the couch. So look over them and just say, hey, I appreciate you. I'm thankful for you. You know, for, for, for the church that you're in. Well, you're not in it, but you know, the church you're watching right now. And so, so often in life, we can learn so many important truths just by seeing how people respond to God in scripture. And this is one of the things I want us to notice. She says, and God, I realize that you've chosen me, that you've, you've given me favor. And God has given all of us favor and God has given all of us blessing and one of the aspects of a humble heart and a person who just loves the Lord recognizes that, God, you've placed me here for a reason and for a purpose. It is a privilege that God would give us and place us where we are. Yes, the blessings and also the suffering. And we talked about this recently in our First Peter series, but you know, suffering is one of the ways that we understand just a little bit more of the suffering, the fellowship of his suffering. We understand just a little bit more of what Christ went through for us. And so even in those moments of difficulty and challenge and the darkness that we go through, we are able to know God in a greater way and to understand him more uniquely. And so Mary is, is bringing this out here. She's saying, God, this is what you've done for me. Remember, there was a lot of unknown still. She still, at this point, we don't know, Joseph might've already received the news at this point, uh, but there was gonna be the whole society's you know, viewpoint of her, what they would have thought about her and Joseph what they would have uh, uh, condemned her for. There was still all of that out there, yet she says, God, I thank you for the place that I'm in. Maybe that's what you need to do right now. Maybe you as an individual just need to step back for a moment and stop living your life just wanting what everybody else has and what everybody else posts and just say, you know what, God, I'm thankful for where I am right now and where you've placed me right now. That's the secret to true contentment and true joy and true understanding of God's will is being content where we are. And Mary says, God, thank you. I realize that you are, you've called me for this specific moment. God had saved her. He had chosen her. He was mighty for her, which means he was working on her behalf. So the first section of her song there talks about what God did for Mary. But as we continue, we see what God did for us. So now she changes the focus from herself and she puts it upon the generations to come, which would include us today. Let's continue in verse 50. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. The mercy of God is upon all people from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in uh, the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich 
he has sent empty away. In this second uh, section here, Mary includes all of God's people that have placed their faith and trust in him from all generations. Specifically here, she emphasizes the fact that God's mercy is upon the helpless, the hungry, and the humble. Now, this was in complete opposition to the common mentality of the day, which the mentality of the day was that if you were rich, full, fat, even really, if you were fat, then you were, you know, super blessed and God's favor was upon you. But Jesus is coming to flip things upside down. And Mary kind of has an idea already of what Jesus is about to do, where he's going to exalt the weak, the hungry are going to be filled, and those who will be without hope will be exalted. And that is because the grace of God always works differently than the way we think it should work. Where God's mercy is not just for those that seem to have it all and seem to have it all figured out, but his mercy is for all people, for everyone. That's why we as Christians today are so confident that even though to the world we seem weak, with God we are strong. To our society, though we seem small and seem poor and seem insignificant, our God, the owner of all things and the creator of all things, makes everything possible. As we talked about last week, all things are possible. I think about 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 26. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught that's nothing, things that are. Listen, this is our God. He chooses the weak things. He chooses the weak individual to bring himself glory and to be praised and to do his greatest work. It's all about humility of us, but it's recognizing that God is doing great things in us. And this is what Mary is saying here. She's saying from generation to generation, the mercy of God is going to be upon those that put their faith and trust in him. And so that's what God did for us. But lastly, the last section of her song is what God did for Israel what God did for Israel. Look again at verse 54 through verse 56. He had hope that's helped. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever, and Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own home. This last uh, few lines of her song talks about how God has helped Israel in remembrance of his mercy and the mercy that he gave to Abraham and to his descendants. We have to remember the desperate situation that Israel was in right now. They were under Roman occupation. They were desperate for freedom. They were desperate for a savior. And here as she speaks out, she is reminding herself and those that would hear this, that God had not forgotten his people. He had not forgotten his promise of a Messiah to his promised people. They were still his people. He was still on their side. The, the, uh, the, the Messiah would still come through their people. It's interesting as you dig into this study where it says that in the phrase, it says that he has helped. This is really interesting because it's written in a past tense. It's written in a past tense, even though it is about a future event. So he says the help is already here, even though it had not yet been played out in our world. The point being is that this was such a sure thing with God. (laughs) This was a sure thing that he referred to his help as a past event And of course, we know the help that was coming to the people was the Messiah, was Jesus Christ, the baby that was about to be born, the answer to the promise made to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse one, it says, now the Lord 
had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And here's the big key. And in thee, in you, Abraham, in your line of people, all families of the earth shall be blessed. All families of the earth will be blessed. How is that even possible? Well, it's possible because of the Messiah. And for those of you and I, like myself today, we are not Jewish people, but we are blessed because of the Messiah that came through those people. All that God had said to Abraham and his descendants was about to come to pass. And Mary knew that. She recognized that. And she proclaimed that today. Christ was about to be born as promised. He was going to live a sinless life. He was going to be offered, offer us righteousness to God in our place. He died the sinner's death. He suffered the wrath of God on the cross and he satisfied God, God's anger and God's judgment. And three days later when he rose again, of course, he proved that the father had accepted the son's sacrifice, that the sacrifice was in fact adequate. All of this was to come And Mary, in joy, says and reminds us of God's promises to Israel and how it affects us today. You know, today, that promise is still there for us. That salvation is still available to all people. If you would but just turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can also be part of the blessed, the ones that have received mercy. God calls on everyone, everywhere to repent of their sins and to trust in him as their Lord and Savior, because the Father's mercy has come to us through his Son. And so we today, as people, we praise God for that. We praise him for keeping his promises, even sometimes before we see them fulfilled. And what we see here is a picture of of women of faith who are believing the promises of God even before they are fulfilled, and they proclaim them as his promises. And in the same way for us this morning, God's faithfulness to us should be worthy of our praise, our remembrance, and of our hope. God's faithfulness should be worthy of our praise, our remembrance, and our hope. That's what we see here, is we see Mary and we see Elizabeth praising God and being faithful in remembering and being joyful in the hope that is to come. You know, the announcement that has been given to them, that filled them with joy, is the same announcement that should fill us with joy today as believers. Joy that we have a God who loves us. Joy that we have a God who saved us. God who has shown mercy to us. A God who has strengthened us. A God who has kept his promises, not only to the generations before, but he's kept his promises to us today. So what is your response to this news? Really the, 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 the big thing I want us to get today above anything else, is that as Christians, we have so much to be thankful for. And there should be a joy that fills our hearts, that affects our lips, that affects our praise, that affects our focus because of what God has done for us. Because of the fact that he came, he fulfilled that promise, he fulfilled that prophecy, he died on the cross, he was enough for your sin, enough for my sin. And his sacrifice was recognized and verified and affirmed by the Father as enough for your eternity. And you and I, if you are saved today, you have that eternity. You've received his mercy. You've received his grace. And if you're not saved, I would ask you, please, would you receive him? Christmas season is a great time to put your faith and trust in the one who came to die for you. But as we look at the weeks to come as a church family, 
my prayer is that you would be filled with joy. You know, it's a time of comparison. It's a time of, of uh, wanting what we don't have. Uh, we're made more, more aware of those temporal and financial things. But as Christians, all we need is Christ. All we need is his love and his mercy to fill us with joy during this Christmas season. So my prayer is that we would be a people who learn from the joy of these three individuals. Yes, three individuals. One was not born yet, but he was still a person. (laughs) And how they just responded with so much joy over what God was doing. And so I wanna ask you today, are you filled with joy at the promise of his coming? Are you filled with joy with the Messiah that has come? Are you filled with joy with your salvation today? Do you find the news of Christ's coming a wonderful thing? Or has it just become sort of the side aspect of your life? Ah, it's the Christmas season, I know what to expect. No, the same joy that came to them, the same Holy Spirit that worked in them, the same Holy Spirit that caused them to speak or to proclaim what God has done is in you today and wants to proclaim him through you as well if you would just simply allow him to. It should give us great joy as believers to know that our Savior has come. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today, and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.